Hello everyone and welcome to the Horse.com's Ask the Vet Live event on complementary therapies brought to you free by the book Understanding Equine Acupuncture. Check it out online at www.exclusivelyequine.com. I'm Christy West, digital editor and producer for the Horse.com and joining us today to answer your questions about this topic are Dr. Ben Espy, past chairman of the AAEPs, that's the American Association of Equine Practitioners, owner education committee, and Dr. Ed Bolt, owner of Doc Performance Horse Complementary Medicine Services. I want to thank you all for joining us today. And as always, we've received hundreds more questions for this event than we can answer in the time that we have tonight. But we've picked out quite a few to cover the major topics that you've asked about, including acupuncture, chiropractic, practitioner training, and more. Once we're through with those, if we have time left, we'll move on to the live questions. And if you have a question, you might want to hang around for just a minute to see if we already have a similar one. And if not, please type your question into the chat box at the bottom of the control panel on your screen. Please note that if you sent in your question already, you don't need to send it again now. Uh, thanks, Ben and Ed, for joining us tonight. Our first question is from Heather, who would like to know, she says she is interested to know how complementary therapies are defined and when, um, if ever, they become accepted and considered to be no longer complementary. Basically, she's wondering how is complementary defined? Well, um, this is Dr. Ed Bolt. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, complementary medicines right now are sort of almost a catch-all phrase. We're looking at everything uh, that is not, quote, conventional veterinary medicine, and it, and, it's, and it takes over a large space. Now, most of us who practice complementary medicine and most of the, uh, our conventional colleagues look on complementary medicine primarily as the top two or three. In other words, veterinary acupuncture, veterinary chiropractic, or in some states called manual therapy, and then to some extent um, Chinese herbs or herbal medicine. Uh, however, veterinary homeopathy, uh, in some cases massage therapy, some of those are also or are also considered complementary medicine. And then we get into, again, anything that's not considered conventional veterinary medicine. Um, you mentioned veterinary uh, physiotherapy, um, physical therapy or rehabilitation therapy. And it's starting to become a little bit more mainstream in uh, veterinary medicine and it's being looked at uh, a little bit harder. There's actually some courses now for veterinarians in physiotherapy or rehabilitation therapy. Right. Very good. And our next question is from Kim in Ontario, Canada, who would like to know if, if you, uh, Ed and Ben, practice as quote-unquote regular veterinarians, and if so, what made you decide to pursue and offer alternative therapies? Well, I can, I can answer that. My, this is Ben Espy. Um, I, I was probably the last class of veterinary school um, where you could get certified in acupuncture as a veterinary student, and that was back in, uh, I took the course back in 90, 1995 and 1996. Now you have to be a veterinarian to, be, um, to, to go to acupuncture school. And um, I just saw as a veterinarian, or as a, as a veterinary student actually, um, you know, kind of a void where um, you know, you were just limited, um, especially doing lameness. And I became interested in reproduction when I was a veterinary or uh, in, in actual veterinary school. And um, 
if anybody's around performance horse medicine or reproduction or really any kind of equine medicine there, you can see gaps in what we can do and what we can diagnose and how we can treat um, with, the, with the conventional medicine. And so uh, Ed was a, a very good teacher. Uh, Dr. Bull taught, uh, taught me to do acupuncture, actually, which is kind of neat that we're on this panel together now. Um, but uh, Dr. Bolt and uh, the other professors in the course that I took uh, were very, were very specific about calling themselves holistic uh, practitioners. And the reason that's really critical is because, like for instance, now um, you know I went to A&M for vet school and I went to Kentucky to do my residency for reproduction, and now I'm your typical ambulatory veterinarian. But what I always point out to people is. Holistic practitioner doesn't necessarily mean that you only do herbs and acupuncture. The definition of holistic means that you take into account all, um, you know, all elements of veterinary medicine. For instance, um, I have two ultrasound units, and I have a uh, radiograph machine, and I send off CBCs and chemistry panels, and I have an entire um, truck full of antibiotics and sedation. Um, teeth floats and um, all that kind of stuff. So I practice veterinary medicine, and I also practice, um, you know, do a, I do a lot of embryo transfers. I do a lot of teeth floating. I do a lot of vaccinations. And so, uh, a holistic practitioner doesn't mean that your practice is limited to the alternative modalities. Um, and I think that's really critical for people to understand. Uh, it's not a fringe therapy anymore. Um, it's very much mainstream. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, tomorrow uh, we have a racehorse meet going on actually in San Antonio right now, and I am going to the track to do acupuncture because of the race day medication rules. So there are lots of different windows where you can use alternative medicine, and um, and uh, I, just, I think it's important for people to realize that um, this is not a uh, sort of a fringe therapy, kind of a radical, um, radical technique. All right, thank you for I'll, that, Ed. Um, I'll drop in here a little bit. Um, my practice is a little bit different than Ben's. I was an ambulatory um, veterinarian. I had a conventional ambulatory practice uh, in Louisiana for many years. Uh, now my practice is limited to complementary medicines. I do acupuncture and chiropractic. Um, and some Chinese herbs, but that said, I'm still, as Ben said, an equine veterinarian. Uh, if uh, I feel that the horse needs radiographs, diagnostic nerve blocks, uh, or conventional therapies, joint injections, etc., I refer the client and the patient back to their routine vet for those. It's just I don't do those anymore. Um, but I look, I'm, I'm an equine vet, and I look at the horse as an equine veterinarian, but I only utilize acupuncture and chiropractic and Chinese herbs in, that, in my personal treatments. All right. Well, thank you both for letting us know about that. And we're just going to toss up a poll for our audience real briefly. Um, have you ever had complementary therapies done on yourself? Take a moment to answer that. We'll move on to our next question. This is from David, who would like to know, who has a comment first. Uh, he says most of the primary providers of major medical and surgical insurance have an absolute exclusion for alternative treatments. Not sure that that's everyone's experience, but he would like to know if you feel that they should cover these therapies. Um, yes, I personally, uh, I've had to fill out a lot of insurance forms for clients 
for my services and have never had problems with uh, any of the insurance companies. Um, obviously, I feel, yes, that veterinary acupuncture and chiropractic done by a veterinarian uh, should be covered. Um, that's one of the things you need to realize that if your horse is insured, all the insurance policies that I'm aware of state that any treatment must be done by a licensed veterinarian. So that's something to keep in mind. But as I said, my personal experience is I've never had a problem with any of the insurance companies that I've had to um, fill out insurance forms or fill out um, treatment forms for. I don't know if Ben has the same. Uh, 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 yeah, I, I don't no. think. Um, as a matter of fact, I have actually had some interaction with some insurance companies, especially on some of the broodmares in Kentucky um, that I was working on um, because of the value of the horse, uh, more so than the, than the quarter horse patients I have in Texas. Um, there were actually, uh, there was a push to use alternative treatments on a lot of those broodmares because a lot of those horses had insurance that we call loss of use, and if the broodmare has a, had a loss of use policy on her and we were unable to get her pregnant, then they were able to collect on a very expensive insurance policy. And so um, there was a there was a very, I, I, would, I guess I would, my experience is similar to Dr. Bolt's. Um, I would probably, I guess, argue with David a little bit about that because I have had not uh, anything but good things with the insurance companies. I think, um, I think maybe what David's referring to is there are I don't think that insurance companies like when you exclude bone scans and ultrasounds and x-rays and only use acupuncture, but I think that when you have uh, a valid reason for using acupuncture in a condition, I think they're, good, they're fine with that. And I think that uh, my, you know, I said in the reproductive world that I live in um, and uh, having practiced on some expensive broodmares that have been infertile, chronically infertile, um, I think the, and that's a perfect example of how insurance companies have been enthusiastic about trying acupuncture. All right. Very good. Thank you for that. Our next questions are on training and certification of complementary therapy practitioners. Uh, Susan from Oklahoma would like to know, starting off, how does one locate a competent complementary therapy practitioner? Well, there's, um, in the acupuncture, veterinary acupuncture uh, end of it, there are there is one organization called the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society, uh, IVAS. Um, they also have a teaching course for veterinarians. That's the one that I personally took, and I was a lecturer in, and the one that Ben took when I lectured, um, you know, on acupuncture. They have a website. You can go to that website. Um, www.ivas.org and they have a, a link there that you can search for someone who's been through uh, their course. They also uh, put up uh, the other courses students. The other two courses for veterinarians are the um, uh, Chi Institute in Florida, their website, I believe, is www.tcvm.com, I believe, um, but you could Google the Chi Institute. They also have a link for those who've been through their course and completed their course. 
Um, and then there's a course, uh, Veterinary Medical or medical acupuncture for veterinarians through the Colorado uh, Veterinary Medical Association. Um, they also have a link on their website where you can see someone that's completed their course. So from acupuncture, there's three different areas where you can find someone who has completed the course and the requirements uh, for recognition through those organizations. Chiropractic. There is the American Veterinary Chiropractic Association, uh, AVCA. They have a website that, again, has a link where you can uh, locate someone who's completed their training uh, or training recognized by them uh, and, and locate someone uh, by those means. Uh, Christy, I'd also like to plug um, the AEP as well. Um, Ed, Ed and I are very active together in the AEP. And uh, one thing uh, that's really critical to mention when we talk about these complementary, complementary therapies is that um, not so much with massage therapy and chiropractic, um, but the introduction of needles into a horse is by most states considered to be a surgical procedure. And so in many states, if if not most, um, acupuncture is considered a uh, is considered to be only performed by licensed veterinarians. And so, what you can do is even after you, um, if you are doubtful of the uh, experience um, or the licensing status of a um, complementary practitioner, you can always go to the aaep.org, and um, that is the that is where all or most of equine practitioners in the United States are listed. So in other words, once you find a complementary practitioner, you can go to the AEP website and see if they are a, um, uh, an, an AEP member. And um, they have a find a DVM um, part of their website. So I think the main thing that Dr. Bolden and myself are both saying is, is that it's really critical that you find um, not only a uh, not only a, a practitioner that's educated in the therapy that you're looking for, but also it's important that they be a veterinarian. And I would also kind of advocate the fact that they're a horse veterinarian. Um, they're not necessarily, um, you know, there's tons of differences and conditions between small and large animals, so just a, just a veterinary acupuncturist doesn't mean you're going to be very competent doing horses. Absolutely, and good, good tips to keep in mind. There's huge differences between species. Uh, I'm going to share briefly the results of our poll on have you ever had complementary therapies done on yourself? Not surprisingly, most of you have. 46% uh, of you have had acupuncture done. 60% have had chiropractic work, 33% homeopathy, 53% have had uh, other therapies done, and 18% of you have not. And we'll move on to our next question. This one's from Constance in uh, Alberta, Canada, who would like to know how current regulations affect uh, self-described certified practitioners, by which I think she may mean non-veterinary practitioners, but I'm not positive. Well, as uh, you know, Dr. Espy just pointed out, you know, we both feel that any of these really need to be done by a, your veteran or a veterinarian. Um, most states, as Ben pointed out, do require that the practice of acupuncture and uh, often chiropractic be done by a licensed veterinarian. 
there are some states that do allow a licensed, and I stress the word licensed, human practitioner to work on animals uh, under direct supervision of a veterinarian who has what's called a valid client-patient relationship. In other words, uh, works in conjunction with your veterinarian. Uh, those states, you'd have to check with your state to see which ones those are. I know for a fact that Louisiana, um, the practice of veterinary acupuncture and chiropractic, et cetera, can only be done by a licensed veterinarian licensed in the state of Louisiana. Um, so you do need to, to check your regulations in your state uh, to see who may practice. But as Ben's pointed out, we really feel that uh, any of it needs to be done by, as Ben said, a uh, hopefully an equine veterinarian. Very good. Thank you for that. And Lori in North Dakota would like to know how many hours of acupuncture clinical study and practice is required before a veterinarian can state that he or she is qualified or certified. Uh, well, I can only speak uh, for the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society because that's the course, um, the organization that I was executive director of for a number of years and was involved with their course. Uh, that course is a 200 plus hour course. You have to be a licensed veterinarian to take it. Uh, it's a 200 plus hour course. You have to complete the course. There is a written exam, an equine practical exam, canine practical exam, uh, a peer-reviewed case report. In other words, you have to write a case report and have it reviewed and accepted, and you have to do 40 hours of internship with a uh, current certified uh, IVIS member. Uh, all of these certifications, be it IVIS, uh, CHI, uh, AVCA, um, it's important to point out that these, quote, certifications are just giving you as the uh, owner, the client, some place to look for someone and know that they have been through at least a level of training uh, in these modalities. Uh, they aren't yet recognized by the American Veterinary Medical Association as a boarded, quote, certification. Uh, but these uh, training efforts are so that you know that at least this veterinarian has been through this level of training uh, and hopefully you know, competent to work on, on your animal, your horse. Very good. And I've put up another poll on our screen briefly. We've talked about complementary therapies done on yourself. Have you ever had complementary therapies done on your horses? Take a moment to answer that and we'll move on to our next question. Actually, our next section is on conditions that can be treated in the horse with these complementary therapies. I would like to say that by far this is the largest group of questions that we got is, is can this, this condition or that health problem be treated with these therapies? So um, Ed, Ben, what kinds of conditions do you treat with complementary therapies? Uh, well, I guess, um, I guess I can start off and uh, Christy, I think, you know, as we talked about um, when we were when you and Ed and I were talking about this, is I think I can just go through some of these questions and um, kind of briefly give a summary of the way I, I use alternative medicine. Um, 
as I said before earlier, you know, I'm a primarily a, uh, a conventional practitioner, um, and I use acupuncture a lot um, as an ancillary assistance to what I normally do. And um, so, like for instance, um, I use the full complementary of antibiotics and full complementary of uh, blood work and uh, X-ray machines and all the, all the regular typical stuff that veterinarians use. Um, one thing that people have to realize is acupuncture is a way of uh, what the Chinese believe um, rerouting energy or discouraging pain or um, the Western belief is, is that the, uh, the horse is, you're, you're trying to stimulate the horse to release endorphins. Um, you are not in any way getting rid of physical problems. So, for instance, if you have uh, arthritic changes in the joint, the application of acupuncture doesn't remove the bony accumulation or it doesn't destroy, it doesn't fix cartilage that's destroyed from overuse in an, in an older performance horse, for instance. So you just have to realize how to use, use it to your best advantage. Um, and so, for instance, like uh, Debbie from Georgia, um, shaking head syndrome, that's a great way to use acupuncture. Um, we don't know why horses have shaking head syndrome. Um, a lot of people have used melatonin. Um, it's basically a neurologically based disease that we know very little about, so acupuncture is a great thing to use for that. Um, leg and hoof issues, April in Wisconsin. Um, those are very commonly um, acupunctures used in some very mysterious and nebulous lamenesses. Like, for instance, if you have arthritis in the fetlock, um, I, I will, and I can isolate it, I will typically inject the fetlock. If I can't isolate a lameness, then many times I will use acupuncture. Um, low ring bone, Kathy Ann in New Jersey. Low ring bone is an arthritic condition that you can see on an x-ray. You, no matter how much acupuncture and no matter how good a practitioner you are, you can't get rid of that arthritis that's accumulated in the pastern area. Um, uh, Laura in Ohio, uh, thin and weak rescue horse. What can you do? He's four months old. Well, a lot of what Ed and I do, um, I don't have many four-month-old horses that will tolerate acupuncture. Um, and that's something that you also have to consider as well. You know, if you have a horse, um, a lot of it's, a lot of it is, you know, what the patient's going to tolerate, what the people will tolerate, what you're treating, you know, what ex why is the horse thin and weak? Does the horse have rotococcus? Okay? As a four-month-old horse that's thin and weak, the first thing I would do is ultrasound his chest and make sure he doesn't have rotococcus, because no matter how much acupuncture needles you use on a four-month-old horse, if he's got rotococcus abscesses in his lungs, you're not going to be really good. So these are, these are very good examples of where acupuncture has its place, and at the same time, if you rely completely on acupuncture, you can fall on your face very quickly. Um, nervous horse, Robbie in Ohio. Um, I know Ed and I both do Western performance horses. I do a lot of rodeo horses, and I know Ed does also. I use a lot of acupuncture for horses that don't have any performance problems other than nerves. Um, a young horse, uh, Joni in New York, a young horse flipped over backwards. Um, that's you know something that, that needs to be diagnosed before you can start doing acupuncture on it. I mean, horses that flip over backward, backwards can have fractured withers or fractured poles. Um, they could have um, uh, cervical ver 
vertebra that are that are injured. Um, if you have stuff like that going on, acupuncture will help them with the pain, but it's not going to help your bony lesions. Um, I think I'll let Ed talk about navicular disease. Um, suspensory ligament, I have not had much luck at all with suspensory ligament and acupuncture. Um, let's see. Sacroiliac joints in horses, I do a lot of sacroiliac joint injection um, with, simultaneously with acupuncture. Um, I don't, I've never seen a horse with Lyme disease. I'll let Ed do a few of them. <laughs> well, um, you know, my, as I said before, my practice is a little bit different uh, than Ben's. All I'm using is acupuncture and chiropractic. Um, I'm, as Ben pointed out, doing primarily performance horses. Um, performance issues, not performing as they should, uh, barrel horses uh, that aren't taking the first barrel. And those I'm probably going to be looking at from a chiropractic standpoint. Um, yes, I do quite a few navicular horses with acupuncture um, and have been fairly successful utilizing acupuncture with navicular horses. That said, uh, I also make sure that the horse is having his feet trimmed properly. We're doing proper shoeing. You know, we're we're doing the other conventional, if you will, therapies to help that navicular horse. We're not just doing acupuncture, um, but I utilize acupuncture as a there again complementary or adjunct therapy to the conventional treatment. Uh, use shockwave therapy. Uh, as part of that too. Um, uh, sacroiliac has been pointed out. I totally agree. I can do acupuncture and adjust the horse and make him feel better. But if the underlying issue is really sacroiliac inflammation, he really needs his SI joints injected, but the acupuncture and chiropractic uh, can surely help. Um, on the one where the horse flipped over, I will really caution you, if you're not using a veterinarian to do your chiropractic, be very careful. I've seen more than one horse, and in fact had a horse recently, where I was asked to come look at the horse because it was carrying its neck funny, if you will. It's carrying its neck stiff, and its head a little um, crooked. Uh, on questioning further, found out that the horse had flipped over uh, more than once actually on a lunge line. And uh, personally, I refuse to work on those horses chiropractically unless radiographs have been taken. Uh, radiographs were taken in this case and a fractured vertebrae was found. Um, if I hadn't been an equine practitioner and, you know, just wanted to make sure what was going on and uh, had adjusted into a fractured vertebrae, it could have been catastrophic and unfortunately I have seen uh, where non-veterinarians have worked on a fractured neck and it was catastrophic. So, um, you know, there's a, a myriad of things that can be helped but caution should be also be taken. Um, but as I said, I do a lot of performance issues, um, you know, not taking a lead well, uh, swapping leads behind, um, you know, not rounding their back. 
Um, so I'll utilize chiropractic and acupuncture, both. Uh, sore backs, um, you know, where pain on palpation. You know, I'll also check the saddle, though. So you know, you can't just say, well, it needs to be acupuncture or chiropractic. You need to also look at some other things and look at the whole horse uh, to decide what needs to be done and what can be helped. All right, thank you for those points. And then we did have a number of questions on those areas, so thanks for that. Our next question is from Monica in Texas, who would like to know how she would know if her horse is in need of acupuncture. Well, I think that um, the way that I do it, um, and I think I haven't seen head practice in a long time, but I basically have, uh, I treat every horse the same. And it's the same re the same reason I flex every horse the same, and I use my hoof testers on every horse the same, and I use my stethoscope the same on every horse because, um, for obvious reasons, after you accumulate, you know, ten, twenty, thirty years of practice, um, you just see tens of thousands of horses, and if you use the same strategy on every horse, then you're a much better practitioner. Um, in the sense that you know what normal is. And that's what people really need to understand is we see a lot of abnormal things, Ed and I do, but uh, when you first get out of vet school, it's really difficult to know what normal is. And um, I think it's really critical that people understand that veterinarians, they're presented with strange stuff all the time, but not very often do we get do people pay us to look at normal horses. And so that's something that's really important, I think, especially, um, I think I was probably out of school at least, you know, eight or ten years before I really had a confidence about me where I kn knew this is something you need to pay attention to and this is something you don't. And um, the way I go over a horse is I look in every horse's mouth to check for teeth problems. That has nothing to do with acupuncture. I do it on every single horse, whether they say the horse is coughing or whether they say the horse is lame. I always look in their mouth. I always put hoof testers on the horse. Um, and as far as the acupuncture diagnostic points that I use, I always use a Sharpie pen. Um, some people use a needle cap. Some people use a red top blood tube. Um, I'll be kind of interested to hear what Ed says. But on me, I always use, I try to use the same amount of pressure on my Sharpie pen, and I try to use the same points as I go down the horse on either side. And that's how I determine how I'm going to proceed. I may find sore hocks, I may find sore stifles, I may find sore back, um, I may find, um, you know, different um, diagnostic points sore, but pretty much I use, I look in their mouth, I use hoof testers, and I use um, a Sharpie pen. What do you Great, think, Ed? Very good. Ed, anything to add? Uh, no, I mean, I think part of it too is, um, you know, for you to decide if you think your horse, uh, you know, needs acupuncture, um, you know, you can look at and see. It's primarily, as I said, from my standpoint, it's how's the horse performing. Uh, if you have a question about performance and, you know, your routine vet has looked at your horse and has determined that it's, nothing from a uh, conventional standpoint you might look at acupuncture or chiropractic. Um, as far as going over the horse, I totally agree with Ben. I do exactly the same thing to every single horse I look at. I start at the nose and I go to the tail. 
Um, I personally use my hands, only my fingers, because I'm trying to, to really feel the points and see how the horse reacts. Um, but I do exactly, as Ben said, I do exactly the same thing to every single horse, no matter what the client's complaint is. Because, as Ben points out, once you start looking at all these horses day in and day out, exactly the same, you, you develop a feel and you develop the knowledge to know when a horse is, is reacting and when they're not. Very good. And our Real quickly, the results of our poll, have you ever had complementary therapies done on your horses? 52% of you have had acupuncture done, 71% have had chiropractic done, 44% of you have used homeopathy, 59% of you have used other therapies, and 9% of you have not used any of these. Our next question is from Nigel in Great Britain who would like to know how are the results of acupuncture treatment assessed and measured? Well, I, I think um, I think I said it very uh, eloquently earlier. I mean, I, you know, what the, when you get to when you get to the level of wanting to use acupuncture for your horse, typically you've got a horse that you're t trying to tweak to get the last two or three percent out of. For instance, my point is is that you're not going to take a horse who is twenty percent performance wise and improve him 80% to make him 100%. Typically, the, the, the horses that Ed and I see are going to be horses that are performing at 97%, and you're going to try to get the extra 3% out of them. Or maybe they're, maybe they're running at 87%, and you're trying to get 13% more out of them. So that's how I determine my success. Um, you know, you may have a horse that, I, you know, I don't take a horse that is lying on her side from crippling laminitis and stick acupuncture needles in her and have her walk away. That's not how acupuncture works. So acupuncture is something that um, you can see really subtle benefits from. A lot of acupuncture patients that I work on, they start eating better, they start performing better. Um, I always, when I acupuncture a horse, I always put in my um, Blackberry to call the owner back in four or five days. I feel like it takes that long for the horse to respond and for the people to understand what's going on. Um, in my experience, the way I do acupuncture, I think I, the horse responds in about 72 hours, and then I'll usually check in with the people two days after that. And frequently, I ask the people, what do you mean the horse is doing better? And they say, I don't know how to explain it. The horse is doing better. And I get that over and over and over again. Probably 90% of my clients say, I don't know how to explain it to you. The horse is better. He's just better. And, that's, and, I, don't, and I know it sounds kind of cheesy and um, nebulous, but that's pretty much what they say. Um, it's not like you're going to take a horse and, you know, it's going to be, you know, three out of five lame on the left front, and you stick seven acupuncture needles in it, and it trots off normal. Um, that's not typically what happens. But, so. but we would so love it if you could work miracles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, I will say this, though, you know, going back to the neurological stuff that, that Ed and I both mentioned earlier, like the head shaking syndrome, for instance, I have seen, you know, I have seen horses that have had head shaking or that have uh, been very fractious, um, horses that won't go into trailers, um, horses that won't 
that won't let um, stallions breed them. Um, I've seen some very problematic, um, you know, neurological uh, vices helped very quickly. Um, so that is one kind of cool thing. Um, you know, horses that have the crib or that um, stall walk or we call it weaving um, that pace the stall back and forth or have some sort of neurological sort of a, uh, you know, they have a vice. Um, I have seen some incredible benefits from acupuncture for that. But, um, you know, as far as the lameness goes, it's not like you're going to take a crippled horse and make it sound. No. Fair enough. And we're going to take one more question on acupuncture before we move on. We've got a question from our live audience from Sandy who would like to know how long does a relief from an acupuncture treatment typically last? Um, I'll jump in here and I think we actually had a similar question about chiropractic here a little bit later. I sort of, from my standpoint, dump them both in together and give an answer. Um, and the answer is a bit nebulous, sort of as Ben said too. It depends. Um, a couple of things we have to remember. Uh, first thing we have to remember is we're uh, asking these horses to be athletes. Uh, we're asking them to do something more than a pasture potato. Um, whether you're taking your horse out on a trail ride, you use him just for pleasure riding, uh, or he goes all the way to the World Equestrian Games. Uh, we're asking them to be athletes, just like human athletes. And as such, they tend to uh, you know, strain things, pull things, injure things. Um, and so from that standpoint, it depends on what your horse is doing. And by the same token, if we work on a, if I work on a horse today, um, and utilizing acupuncture and chiropractic, and most of the horses I treat get both modalities. But if I work on him today, and tomorrow in the snow we've had here in Colorado, he goes out in his paddock and slips and falls, the treatment's probably not going to have lasted very long. Um, also, you tend to see where, um, especially in the first time I've looked at a horse, if it's been a chronic problem, I can pretty much tell you that the treatment, uh, he might work or act better, uh, seem better, as Ben pointed out. You might just generally feel that the horse is better uh, for a short period of time, a week, two weeks. I can't really tell you, but typically if it's a chronic problem, I pretty much tell my clients it's going to take more than one or two treatments in all likelihood to get uh, the horse where we're happy with his response and happy with how he's doing for us. Uh, so back to the original question of how long it lasts, as I said, unfortunately it's a bit nebulous answer, but it depends on what the condition is, what we're trying to do, and what level and what your horse is doing. Uh, if he decides to get cast in the stall tonight, uh, what I did is not going to be there probably tomorrow. He might have bigger problems. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might be calling me back for something else. <laughs> <laughs> for another reason, sure. Well, and I think all of this just reminds us how important it is to work closely with your with your veterinarian and in, in trying to trying to do some good things for your horse, and so you can stay in touch with what's going on and what you really need. Um, we'll take one more question on acupuncture. Um, we had some questions about acupuncture versus acupressure. 
And what's your opinion on those and what place acupressure may have? Well, I think this is probably a good time to, um, now that we've kind of gotten warmed up and everything, and um, discuss the different types of acupuncture therapy that, that Dr. Bolt and, and, uh, and I do. Um, basically, acupuncture can, there are different, the different types of acupuncture that I do are, acupuncture is typically what we talk about when we talk about dry needles. And dry needle acupuncture is, uh, you know, they're 25, 28, 30 gauge needles, so they're basically like insulin needle diameter. And they don't have a cutting edge on them because they're not, not um, they don't have a hollow center like an injection type needle. So they're solid and they're sharp and so they don't have a cutting end to them like a hypodermic needle does. And so what they do is they, um, they you can feel the, the needle prick and I'm sure everybody on the panel or on the, uh, on the seminar tonight um, is aware that you, know, you can feel the needle prick but you can't typically feel the advancing of the needle because it, the, we think that the needle is pushing the tissue out of the way and they're silicone coated and so on. So there's not a lot of pain in the advancement of the needle. Then there's aquapuncture when the practitioner will put some sort of liquid, it may be B-complex vitamins, it may be you know, some, something of their choosing that they inject into the point. Then there's moxibustion where you heat up a needle um, with, uh, you know, with, with herbal stuff that you apply onto the needle um, to heat up the acupuncture point. And then there's electroacupuncture when you attach an electrical lead to an acupuncture needle, and that's very similar to a TENS unit. Um, that massage therapists use. So those are four different types of ways we use um, acupuncture and that's a lot of the reason why the, the sites don't bleed when you remove them because you're not cutting the tissue as you insert the needle, you're basically just pushing the tissue out of the way and it doesn't cause, I think everybody who's had acupuncture will kind of vouch for me on that, it doesn't, it doesn't cause a lot of pain when you advance the needle. Um, I think that's all right. <laughs> Very good. Now we've spent some time on acupuncture. We're going to move on to chiropractic now. We had a number of questions about this as well. Um, we'll take our first question from Peggy in Washington who says uh, her human chiropractor adjusts her weekly, but her equine one only does a single adjustment on her horse at a time. Why, why the difference? Um, I guess I'd want to, part of me would want to know also if your equine uh, chiropractor is a veterinarian if they're also doing acupuncture in conjunction with the chiropractic because um, that's what I do. I'll adjust and most of the horses I adjust will get um, get acupuncture and a lot of times I can treat them once or twice and that'd be it as opposed to weekly or every few days that will often be seen with a human chiropractor. Part of that is that you have to understand when there's a chiropractic issue, the idea that there's a bone out of place or uh, something out of place, that's an old thinking and incorrect. And a chiropractic is putting motion back into joints. It's getting the body to move as it should. Uh, as most of us who've ever had your uh, back uh, have an issue or a chiropractic issue in your back, you know that your muscles in your back start spasming. Uh, what that's called is muscle splinting. Uh, when the joint moves, it hurts, so the body says, well, I don't want to move the joint. 
So it starts spasming the muscle to splint itself, to keep the joint from moving. When that's been going on long enough, you start those spasms lead to the formation of what's called trigger points. As I explained it, if you go and muck out all your stalls tomorrow and your arm hurts, you palpate your arm and you find a spot that really hurts but it makes your arm feel better, that's a trigger point. That's typically where the nerve comes into that muscle and tells it to fire and it gets overworked. So when I do an adjustment, I'll do uh, acupuncture or aquapuncture to try and relieve those trigger points or relieve that muscle spasming. What all this is leading to is the muscle also has what's called muscle memory. Um, it hurts and the body remembers it hurts and it says the body knows that uh, if it moves, it's going to hurt more, so the muscle wants to keep that spasm going. So most human chiropractors don't do acupuncture. Um, some of them will do TENS now, uh, but when they have to see you weekly or fairly often, they're trying to get past that muscle memory. They're trying to get that motion that they've put back into the joint, trying to give the body a chance to let that motion continue, uh, let the body start healing. Uh, the aquapuncture, acupuncture sort of short circuits that process. So potentially that's why uh, your uh, equine veterinarian doing chiropractic and hopefully acupuncture too only has to potentially do it once uh, or twice or in a shorter time frame in order to see uh, a difference. All right, very good. And uh, Aslag from Colorado, I hope I said that right, um, has a question. Should the horse be given a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, such as butyrbanamine, after having a chiropractic adjustment? Um, typically, I don't. Uh, if a client asks me uh, if they think they should, I tell the client if they would feel more comfortable giving it, uh, that's fine. They may do so. Um, some horses are a wee bit stiff for a day or so. Um, this sort of goes back to what uh, Dr. Eskew pointed out earlier about uh, seeing when uh, acupuncture response occurs. I typically give a horse, when I've done acupuncture in chiropractic, a day or two off because um, they may be a little uh, sleepy, a little tired from endorphin release, and they may be a little sore. Uh, and then have the horse evaluate, start him back working, and then evaluate the horse over the next week to two weeks. Um, and so, especially in horses where I do have a history or the client feels that the horse was a little stiff for a day or so, uh, if they want to give non-steroidals, uh, I tell them that's fine. Uh, if the horse was already on a non-steroidal from their routine vet, I never change any drug um, prescriptions or any um, medications that the routine vet has put the horse on. I never take them off of those. So if the horse was already on them, then by all means leave it on as per your routine vet's instructions. All right, very good. And our last question on chiropractic is from Mary in New York who would like to know if chiropractic care should be done on horses regularly without any diagnosed um, 
problem by a DVM. And quick, real quickly before you answer, I just want to draw everyone's attention to the poll that we have up on the screen right now. Uh, what was your experience with complementary therapies in your horses? Go ahead. Um, well, there again, I think it comes back to, uh, you know, I think Dr. Espy and I have both espoused that we really think it acupuncture and chiropractic should be done by a DVM. Uh, and so, um, you know, we hope that a DVM, um, you are using a DVM, so a diagnosis and work has been done. Uh, as far as been done regularly, I see quite a few. I have quite a few clients, especially my trainers and my horses that are on the show circuit that are competing, you know, weekly in uh, hard circuits. I see quite a few of those horses more as in, on a maintenance system or maintenance schedule where I'm going over those horses from a more preventative standpoint, trying to make sure that they're at top form and that we can uh, alleviate things going to uh, a more critical situation. So I always tell clients that it's sort of up to them how they feel and how their horse is being utilized. Uh, but yes, I think it benefits horses uh, you know, to at least be examined routinely. Uh, to, to see how things are. All right. Very good. And we're going to move on. Uh, we've got about 10 minutes to go and quite a few questions we're going to try to touch on. Uh, we've got a couple of questions on homeopathy and herbs. Um, how do you use, common one, how do you use homeopathy and herbs in your practice? Well, I don't use either. So I think that's a quick and easy answer to that. Um, <laughs> that's a, Next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think Ed's got a comment on that too. I believe he does. Yeah, I mean, I use, I do use some Chinese herbs uh, for certain conditions. Um, I use it for some laminitic conditions. I use it for um, uh, some stomach issues, stomach ulcer uh, in some cases. Uh, but bottom line is, I do use some herbs. I really am not trained in homeopathy. There's a couple of homeopathic products I've used and. Couple of specific cases that uh, I thought may have had some benefit, but I'm not I'm not trained in homeopathy and don't really, in all honesty, utilize homeopathy. All right, and Jerry in Indiana would like to know what are the biggest risks in using herbs with horses. Um, there are some herbs now. I'm talking strictly of Chinese herbs. There's the Chinese herbs. And then there's what's called Western herbs. Western herbs are the devil's claw, um, uh, slippery willow, some of those. I am not trained in those, and I don't utilize those. So I cannot comment on those. From a Chinese herbal standpoint, the biggest risks are, uh, number one, uh, there are some, well, typically the worst case scenario is that the herbs will start a diarrhea. Uh, if that stool starts soft and I tell any client to stop until they've consulted with me. Um, there are uh, some herbs that can have some um, complicating effects with certain drugs uh, that can occur. Um, and then there are certain herbs that should not be used if your mare is pregnant. Uh, so you do need to utilize them judiciously and utilize them under you know supervision of a of a veterinarian 
that utilizes herbs. All right, thank you for the, especially that caution on pregnant mares, always something to keep in mind. All right, we're going to move on to, we've got a number of questions on other therapies that we're going to move on to. Um, first one in that section, Venkatesh in India would like to know the treatment regimen using complementary therapies for inducing ovulation in acyclic mares with smooth ovaries. Well, uh, that's, that's a subject that's near and dear to my heart, mainly because um, repro is primarily what I do, and um, also I really um, I love acupuncture as well, so that's, that's a great question for me. But um, first of all, you can induce ovulation in an acyclic mare. Um, that's a Western medicine fact, um, and I think even Eastern practitioners would agree with me there. If a mare is acyclic, you cannot induce ovulation. A mare that has smooth ovaries, it's acyclic, it's uh, what we call anesterous. That means that she doesn't have any follicles to induce. So um, I do not have any tricks um, for inducing ovulation in a mare that has no ovulatory follicle. Now, if a mare, there are plenty of mares in the middle of breeding season that refuse to ovulate, um, I believe acupuncture to be very helpful in those mares, mainly because the Chinese believe that um, the kidney is a spe specifically important organ for uh, chi. Um, uh, you can harvest a lot of chi from the kidneys, from the Chinese kidneys. And um, the kid, uh, we kind of interchange the kidney and the ovary um, as a similar or the same organ when you're practicing traditional Chinese medicine. Um, and so the points that we use are the same or really identical, um, whether you're treating kidney disease or ovarian disease. So that's kind of a two-double-edged answer. Um, you can induce ovulation in a mare that doesn't have any activity, but if a mare refuses to ovulate, then you can't help her with acupuncture. Yeah. Thanks very much for that. And our next question is from Jody in California who would like to know, do the spinal nerves of horses have dermatomes like humans, and perhaps we should first define dermatomes? A dermatome is a region of skin that is supplied by a certain nerve. So by definition, if you have a nerve, you have a dermatome. So for instance, um, regardless of the species, whether it's a snake or a rabbit or a human or a horse or a cow, every, every living being that has nerves has dermatomes. And a dermatome is a region of skin that is supplied by a specific nerve. Thanks for that. Excuse me. Clearing my throat for a moment. And I would like to share the results of our poll really quickly. Um, what was your experience with complementary therapies for your horses? 35% of you say it fixed the problem completely. 56% of you say it improved the problem but didn't fix it completely. 9% say it had no apparent effect. And luckily, nobody said it made the problem any worse. Our next question is uh, from Linda in Texas who would like to know, should an older horse, uh, her horse is 14, have an exam to see if she's out of alignment even if everything appears to be normal? Um, Dr. Bolt, do you want to take that since I yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's sort of, as I said uh, you know, earlier, I have quite a few uh, clients that have me go over their horse uh, on a routine basis more as a preventative uh, condition or checking to see um, 
you know, if there's an issue before it becomes a performance-altering issue. So um, I, I would say that you know, if you would like your horse to be examined, yes, that'd be fine. Um, you know, there could be something subtle uh, going on that you know down the road may lead to you know more of an issue. But there again, it's one of those things without looking at the horse, knowing more history, et cetera, It's a bit hard for me to to give you a, a definitive uh, yes no answer. Very good. And we have a question from Shana in California who would like to know what are your views on equine hyperbaric therapy and massage therapy. Uh, um, I have uh, on hyperbaric medicine. I have an opinion. Um, hyperbaric medicine is uh, something that is um, that has been advocated in both human and veterinary medicine. Um, I have had personally a uh, skin graft and um, at a very prestigious uh, military hospital, and it, there's a lot of uh, positive data supplying the use of hyperbaric therapy for uh, skin grafts and non-healing wounds and that kind of thing. Um, so once again, it's uh, kind of case specific, but uh, hyperbaric therapy um, is interesting because people have spent millions and millions of dollars um, building hyperbaric chambers in human hospitals and uh, hyperbaric chambers at veterinary hospitals. The veterinary clinic I worked in central Kentucky um, had a hyperbaric chamber um, for horses that was really neat and um, incredibly expensive and um, is a good alternative when you kind of run out of options. It's not just for financial reasons. It's not a first-line therapy. Um, equine massage therapy is a nice alternative that you do not have to have a veterinarian do, and it's a great adjunct therapy. I have a lot of massage therapists that massage my patients in between acupuncture therapies. Um, I don't believe that it's as effective because I don't, um, I think that, um, I, ha I guess I have to be cautious because I'm sure some of y'all listening are equine massage therapists, but um, in my experience it seems like because of the muscle mass of a horse, it's just difficult to manipulate from the surface a muscle mass that may weigh 30 or 40 pounds. Um, you know, the, the gluteal region of a horse probably is 50 or 60 pounds of muscle, and it is, it's difficult, I think, for humans to massage it to where it has a good effect. Uh, so definitely some logic to that. All right, um, and I'm going to skip a couple of questions here so we can touch on a couple of the other therapies that people asked about. Actually, before I say that, um, we received a, quite a few questions about you know, just scores of therapies, and it's it's going to be a little bit tough for us to touch on all of those because, as I as I texted to one of our live atten live attendees, we would have to have a whole houseful of of practitioners to answer all of these questions about all these therapies because no one vet practices them all, or even two of them, as we have tonight. <laughs> so I'll touch on a couple of them as as we can. Um, do you, uh, Katie from Washington, would like to know if you know of any research with red light therapy on horses? I am not aware of any research uh, that's been done or published in uh, any of the peer-reviewed um, uh, journals or et cetera that, that Ben and I typically get. Uh, so I, I'm not aware of any personally. 
not to say that there's not out there, but I'm just not personally aware of any. All right, fair enough. And we also received a number of questions about microcurrent therapy in, in horses. Do you have any experience with that or knowledge of research on it? I'll let it answer that. Um, I'm that. Microcurrent, I'm not sure if they're also meaning uh, similar to a TENS unit. You know, there is uh, TENS units are uh, typically a, in our use sort of a different form of electroacupuncture. Uh, yes, there's some research been done on electroacupuncture. Um, not sure of uh, TENS or microcurrent therapy uh, per se as far as research goes. Uh, but I do know there's electroacupuncture uh, has some, some research been utilized uh, or been done on that. All right. Thank you for that. And I'd like to bring up uh, real quickly here before we, before we wrap up the session, um, we have one last poll. Who, who practices complementary therapies on your horses? And check all that apply on that. And we'll just take one more quick question. Um, Mar Mariah, I believe is how I would say her name, from Oregon, would like you to uh, explain ultrasound therapy. Well, um, I guess maybe Ed can comment on this because um, I'm sure we have different experiences. Um, I graduated when I was in college in, um, this is uh, 1990, um, I had an Achilles tendon tear and um, it was very common uh, back then to use ultrasound to heal tendon and ligament injuries. Um, I'm not really sure, I don't, I, I'm very, you know, it was however long ago. 30 years ago, so I don't really remember specifically what was going on, um, but I do remember the fact that the probe um, being moved all the time, I do specifically remember the fact that if the technician slowed down the movement of the probe, it would burn. Um, even now, having two ultrasound units that I own, you know, diagnostic ultrasound, image ultrasound units. Um, I, I've never seen one since then. So I don't know if they fell out of favor. I don't know if they were proven not to work. Um, but I do know that in human medicine, they did use therapeutic ultrasound um, to heal tendon and ligament injuries 20 years ago. Um, as far as removing pain from this lady's elbow, um, I'm not really sure if she had ultrasound therapy and red light therapy and removing and it and it removed pain from her elbow, or if she felt like one of the two removed pain from her elbow. I've never seen red light therapy, um, and so I guess I'm glad the pain's gone, but I have no idea which of the therapies might have worked for her. Sure, it's definitely hard to tell when you're employing a number of therapies to treat one thing, but you know, you, you kind of want to do everything you can and hope it helps, I, I suppose, yeah. in some cases. And actually, Christy, I'm kind of curious actually to see what Ed says, because Ed, Ed do you remember that? I mean, do you remember those yeah, ultrasounds? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the therapeutic ultrasounds, and like you said, they, they were in favor, um, you know, years ago. I really don't, I'm not aware of anyone currently using them other than our diagnostic ultrasounds, which are obviously different. You know, the therapeutic ultrasound, uh, reason, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, causing the cells to uh, vibrate faster and it's producing heat. That's why if they slowed down it burned because it's producing uh, internal heat. 
Uh, and like you said, I, I, they seem like, at least in my experience, sort of gone out of favor. Uh, I, I just, I haven't, I'm sort of like you, I haven't, don't have personal knowledge of one in years um, since I've seen one or uh, known anybody that's used one personally. Yeah, def I had uh, ultrasound therapy on my shoulder following a shoulder injury and surgery, but that was that was about that was about ten years ago, yeah. and I definitely remember the heat. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't remember, but in and uh, I don't remember. You know, I've been out of school I guess sixteen or seventeen years, and I don't remember in my in my professional veterinary career ever seeing anybody use one. And All right. And just real briefly, the results of our poll, who practices complementary therapies, complementary therapies on your horses? 22% of you say it was your regular veterinarian, 50% of you say it's a different veterinarian, and uh, just over half, most popular answer, 52% say it is a non-veterinary therapist. It is 8.05 now, and that is all the time we have today, but I'd like to thank Dr. Uh, Ed and Ben very much for their time, and of course you, our audience, for participating. You sent in a lot of really great questions, and I'm sorry that we did not have a chance to get to all of them. We've received several hundred, and unfortunately we only have so much time. Um, but I would like to let you know that this session will be archived soon on thehorse.com, and I would encourage you to check out more complimentary therapy information under the therapies topic at thehorse.com. And last but not least, thanks again to the book Understanding Equine Acupuncture for bringing this free session to you today. Check it out at www exclusivelyequine.com. Have a wonderful evening, everyone, and thanks so much for your interest in taking better care of your horses.